Est-ce que tu m'accompagnes, Harold Oui, c'est idiot, je t'aime. Je voulais te revoir pour savoir si te revoir me ferait plaisir. Vous venez d'où, Monte Carlo Non, de Marseille. Je suis resté samedi et dimanche à Monte Carlo. Fallait que je vois un type. Lundi, j'ai essayé de t'appeler de Marseille. Lundi et dimanche, je n'étais pas à Paris. Jeffrey, tell us what Starburns was doing in that classroom, or your group can take an F. Hold up, hold up, hold up. I grade my students. Now, what Starface was doing is irrelevant. What matters is what he saw. I'm upholding the pinky swear. What? Yo, man, you spent your life in the army. I spent mine in prison. Two places where a man's word is only as good as his uniform. Now, out here, it's supposed to be different. And in my class, it will be. You two can plead your case to the class and let them decide your grades. Professor. Thank you. It's not a favor, Mr. Winger. A man's got to have a code. Awesome. Chris Gauser here with Matt Howell. On this episode of The First Run, Matt and I are going to discuss the latest film in the MCU. Phase 4 continues, Matt, with Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. I've been saying that wrong my entire life. Though, Matt, as we said prior to recording, I've never really had cause to say that that often at all. But it's Shang-Chi, if we want to be uh, correct about that. So does it fit, Matt? Does it? Let me put it this way. Does it escape the MCU template that I've been bashing for a few years now, right? And then Matt Damon stars in Tom McCarthy's Stillwater. We're going to spend a few minutes talking about that one, which is kind of a loose adaptation of the Amanda Knox story. We'll tell you what's coming up on physical media, featuring your straight-to-DVD and streaming picks of the week. And then finally, Matt and I are going to close out the show sharing our five favorite MCU villains. Who's going to make the cut? Claw, Blacklash, J. Jonah Jameson? Listen on to find out. But let's start off the show with a clip from Shang-Chi. Okay, let's get you ready to fight. Wait, what? Well, multi-platform global operation. Every fight, live stream on the dark web. Thousands of viewers placing bets as we speak. This is going to take your brand to a whole new level. I think there's been some sort of confusion. I like your spike face. Usually, you got to fight your way to Central Ridge. But a viral star like you, front of the line, baby. I'm not here to fight anybody. Okay, I'm looking for my sister, Shishale. Never heard of her. We just lost a fight at the last minute, so you get the next slot. Nice one, Helen. Is he really fighting in one of these? Oh, no, 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 no. These are like low-level fights. You're gonna be fighting up there. Matt, do you like that? Even in the opening, I correct myself and then I get it wrong right before I start the clip. <laughs> so the key is, is it's Sean with a G, basically, right? Mm-hmm. So it's Sean mm-hmm. So there you go. And I like, too, they actually spend a few minutes explaining that in the film, how to actually p- correctly pronounce his name. Right. So speaking of which, Matt, what is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings all about? So um, a young man named Sean living in San Francisco um, has his past catch up with him. It turns out that his um, father is the legendary leader of a crime syndicate called the Ten Rings and um, steals a necklace that was given to him by his dead mother. 
and he has to go back and retrieve it and warn his sister that his father is looking for her as well. Nice. I like that's a nice abbreviation or a synopsis. Doesn't really get into what actually happens with the rest mm-hmm. of the movie. So top marks, Matt. Exceptionally well done. Thanks. Thanks. So, Matt, answer my question. Are we stuck again in the same GD Marvel template? Or did we finally escape the trappings of those uh, obligations? I mean, I think you're never going to get completely away from the the template of these films. I think they're going to have a certain level of DNA running through them. And for better or worse, you know, some people will criticize that you're, you know, my esteemed co-host for one saying that, uh, that they are, they have a sort of framework that they all kind of stick to. Cookie kind of cutter feel to them. Yeah. They have, I wouldn't go that far, but I would say that they have a through line that basically that mm. you would expect to have a singular vision. In this case, the idea of a Marvel comic book, they all had a sort of same feel and you're getting that kind of with these, these films as well. I think, it definitely has less of it might be the least superhero-y of any of the of the Marvel films I've seen mm. so far. It seems much more like a martial arts Wuxia type, you know, westernized version of those films, um, for better or worse. But it doesn't really feel like a superhero movie to me. I can tell it has that Marvel DNA, but even though I, I don't, is it a spoiler? I don't know. Even though that there are some very recognizable you know, villains that are supposed to be in this. Um, at the same time, it feels very, very different. You know what? I think that is entirely correct. And I think this is a breath of fresh air in the MC universe, Matt. I think it's true. Uh, it does follow the template per se, but it still feels very fresh to me and it feels very different. And it's an interesting story. Is it an origin story? Yeah, it is, which we've seen a dozen times now. But somehow they're able to inject something new and different. And maybe it's exactly what you're saying, that we're leaning more on the wuxia trappings, right? With that kind of, it's a martial arts film that happens to occur in the in the uh, MCU. I'm not sure. Maybe that's what it is. But overall, it was really fun to see a different side of the MCU. And this is I've probably the film I've enjoyed the most out of any of these since Endgame, maybe? Definitely more something. I Black Widow for me is just inert. That film is DOA. This thing is alive. It's got lots of fun ideas, lots of great effects, some great colors, uh, some really interesting uh, fight choreography, which I found out that the when I was doing my research that Brad Allen was part of Jackie Chan's stunt team, and he's the one that orchestrated a lot of the stunts here, and unfortunately he actually just recently passed this year. But, in fact, if you stay to the end of the film, you'll see that it's actually dedicated to him. Now, it does have some issues. Uh, some of the CGI gets really dodgy at times. There's one scene, I think, with Aquafina and, and, and Lou come out of the forest. or they're on the beach. I can't remember what it is. But I can almost see the, the green screen kind of rippling around Shang-Chi's jacket, his, his, his silhouette, his body there, which is a little bothersome. But other times, it's fantastic. The fight scenes are really well done, not just orchestrated, but with the effects. The use of the 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 storied Ten Rings was really interesting and different to see. Really, there's a lot to enjoy about this film, Matt. What did you think? Yeah, I liked it. Um, I'm not as harsh on the MCU films as you are. I didn't think Black Widow was bad at all. I will say that it was interesting to see it 
in the sense of I like, you know, Hong Kong action movies. I like wuxia movies. Um, I like martial arts films and I enjoyed all of that here, even though it seems like the wrong thing to say, but if I found it lacking anything is it just didn't feel that much like a Marvel movie to me. And that doesn't necessarily take anything away from it, but it kind of dimmed my enjoyment because I, I don't know. I was kind of in the vein of wanting a more of a superhero type film. And that's not necessarily what we got. And that's, that's just me personally. I wouldn't say that that's bad for everybody. Um, I think a lot of people appreciated that fact of it. But if I had one criticism, well, if I had two criticisms, that would be one of them. Uh, the other criticism I would have it is is a little heavy on the flashbacks. They just kind of, uh, I started towards like the seventh or eighth one of them, I started kind of to roll my eyes a little bit that we're going into another flashback. But I guess that was a minor quibble. But I liked it. I just didn't. I, I didn't think it. I think it's probably mid mid level Marvel for me. I don't think it's it's top tier. I don't think it's cracked that top five for me. Well, I don't know if it's top five, but it is one of the better films I've seen. I love it exactly. I think for that fact that it it does not feel like an MCU movie. It has this kind of fresh, interesting, different view to it. There's um, I'm going to give you the flashbacks. There are entirely too many of them. We finally get to the fate. Of, of Shang-Chi's mom. It's like, yeah, all right. And it runs long, too. I mean, it's a whole thing. So the flashbacks do kind of outweigh their welcome. But outside of that, there's a lot to enjoy here, right? I think the relationship between uh, Shang-Chi and Aquafina is great. I like that there's not really a romantic thing between the two of them. I think the film does a great job with female representation. Much so, much, much better than like Endgame, you know, with that forced moment at the end with all the women line up just to get that screenshot. All right, so much, much, a lot better handled in this film. And I think one of the better final acts in the entire MCU. Uh, I think that was really thrilling and different when you had the, well, yeah, I don't want to spoil too much. There's yeah. a lot of interesting events and creatures and things that are leans heavily on this Japanese, or excuse me, this Chinese folklore and um really just really cool to see on the big screen really and i want to spend a minute too matt and talk about who may be one of the best villains we've seen so far and that's tony leung's character i think he is fantastic in this i'm i think he's really able because not only is he charming but he's sinister and he's got this pathos and this sadness because of what's actually driving him at this point and I think he is one of the more fully realized, interesting villains that we've seen to date. And who knows, he may come up on my list later on. But to have a, I think really, I, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic here, but to have a living legend like Tony Long to, to play your villain in this film is great. And he totally delivers. Uh, what did you think about him? Yeah, I really liked uh, Tony Long. I mean, it's, it's a credit that he never really seemed like a villain. It's like he didn't, mm. he wasn't doing the things he was doing because out of a sense of malice, it was more that he was doing the things he was doing because he wanted something that I think everybody could kind of understand why he wanted those things. And he was willing to do what it took to get it. And I don't even think he really realized the kind of damage everything was causing. So yeah, it's a very interesting character as far as, you know, he didn't strike you necessarily as a villain, ruthless, but not a villain necessarily. Although I did, I did really like the you kind of touched on earlier, just the 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 end of it 
Um, but I really like the kind of touch of like Lovecraftian, otherworldly, almost like horror aspect of mm -hmm. it at the end, which I thought was really cool. And I hope to get to we get to see more of in things like uh, Doctor Strange. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how this all fits in to this phase four thing, especially mm -hmm. if it appears Kang is going to be our villain. So I'm just curious to see how that all shakes out. I like that the uh, the Ten Rings shift as well, right? From what they mm -hmm. represented in Iron Man 3 mm -hmm. to what they are now. Mm -hmm. And again, some really good effects with that. And then there's a, of course, you have your two post credits sequences, which I think are both mostly interesting. So uh, overall... I found Shang-Chi to be a great MCU roller coaster ride fun film. And I want to say too, if you're this is there's a lot of heat online about Tony Leung right now. And if you're just finding him now, check him out. The first film I ever saw him in was Infernal Affairs, which was the original version of The Departed, as you may know here in the States, folks. You domestic folks here. Chungking Express and then In the Mood for Love, two big roles for him that I've seen that are absolutely gorgeous, fantastic films. A very different side. Of him than what you'll get, I think, after walking out of Shang-Chi. But still, uh, check out those films if you are as enamored with him as I am. In the end, Matt, I'm giving Shang-Chi a B. I think a B is right. I think I'd probably give it a low end of the B for me. Um, I, I don't think that's fair to move it into the B-minus territory. Um, but I, I still thought it was a pretty solid film. That is bizarre. So I'm really excited. Now you like this thing a lot. And I gave it a B. And you were underwhelmed and gave it a B. Yeah, because <laughs> honestly, it's really well made. I know my some of my complaints about it aren't really a fault of the film. I mean, it's just my opinion on the thing, which is what we do here. But still, um, you know, and I thought it's really well put together. I I just I don't feel like it's a B minus film, but it's like it's right on the edge. Like if if like you needed to get a, maintain a B average, I'd be talking to my student after class saying, you know, you gotta you gotta bring it up. You just made it. So you're an 84, and I'm an 86. I think exactly. is where we are. But yeah, that's, that sounds about where we are. <laughs> so, and also, too, I want to point out, you know who directed this film, don't you? Uh, I do, but why don't you tell us? So, it was Destin Daniel Cretton. Now, if you don't know, longtime listeners of the show, and in the first run Pantheon, in the first run Vault, one of the greatest films I think we've talked about in this show, and every time it pops up, I push it. Short Term 12, mm -hmm. which is his, de his debut future, which is a, basically a, a, an adaptation of his experience um, working in that kind of facility. If you're not familiar with Short Term 12, a lot of actors got their starts in that film. Uh, Brie Larson, well, she don't think she's got a start there, but a lot of people got noticed that Brie Larson, Lakeith Stanfield, Rami Malek's in that. Um, are there a, uh, um, what's her name? Oh, yeah, Catherine Deaver. Yeah, Deaver's in that as well. Yeah. I mean, it is Jonathan Gallagher. There's, it's, it's like a murderer's row of like up and coming actors. And it is a wonderful film. So if you have not seen Short Term 12, check it out as soon as possible. I mean, it's routinely on sale on iTunes for like five bucks. Mm. Buy it. And if you don't like it, email me. I'll, I'll Venmo you the money back. <laughs> That's how confident I am that you will love that film. Or maybe <laughs> Matt will. I shouldn't time myself. Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, Caitlin Deaver, excuse me. It's not Caitlin Deaver. Thank you. Caitlin Deaver, yeah. So there you go. All right. Good times. Matt? Let's go ahead and keep rolling here then. Well, of course, shoot us an email, feedback at thefirstrun.com. Let us know your thoughts of Shang-Chi. Is this a bold new step in the uh, MCU? I would, Matt, I'm telling you, I'd like to see more of this. Kind of, you know, we're in the MCU. It, it's mm -hmm. almost, I hesitate to say it, it's almost a DC model, right? Where you get it to a director to kind of do his thing within this kind of larger world. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, of the previews that I saw, 
that I thought were the most interesting. One, I saw the Dune preview, and it was I was getting pretty hyped for it. It looks amazing, but honestly, I thought Eternals looked kind of interesting too, with Chloe Zhao's touch on the way it looked. So I'm cautiously optimistic about that. Uh, doesn't look like it's going to be funny or anything like that, but it it looks it looks different. Yeah, that Brian Terry IKEA joke is pretty strained. I'm really yeah. concerned that Eternals <laughs> is going to look absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, and be just a snore. I I don't know why I'm just I don't know. I just, but you know what? Guardians of the Galaxy, a little known property, blew up. Yeah, yeah, it could be. I mean, it it, it could be. We've got a lot of MCU still coming out left, and I'm still most excited for our end of the year visit to spider-man because he's my favorite mm. and i gotta tell you sam raimi doing a doctor strange film there's you know uh, that could be a trip as well mm-hmm. so lots to look forward to uh in the mcu which is of course and then there's another ant-man movie so all right which kills me <laughs> i love paul rudd yeah i don't see what your what your problem with those films i think those films are vastly underrated they're a lot of fun that second one is just a mess. It is so. Anyway, listen to the old show. You can hear don't, me yeah. pontificate about Ant Man versus Wasp. We don't need to do it. Don't don't listen to Chris, folks. Like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Fair enough. That's true. All right, let's move on, Matt. Let's spend a few minutes talking about what's coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday, September fourteenth. I got you something. Ah. Hey, hey, hey! Look inside. What's this for? Respect. So I can go home now? Nah. <laughs> I'm gonna need you to do what you did last night. I appreciate your confidence in me, but I came to dance. Oh, no, 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 no. We're done with that. That's right, Matt. We are done with that. That, of course, is the big screen adaptation. I like to say this as, as much as possible. You're gonna hear me say it a few times uh, this week. Adaptation, adaptation. Of a tweet threat. That's right, Matt. Zola is getting its physical release. You were away the week we tackled this film on the show. And I'll just tell you, I think it's worth your time. It is a trip. It's pretty interesting. It's a lot of fun, uh, (laughs) but it's a different kind of movie and you should definitely check it out. Includes audio commentary by the writer, director, and featurette, and then uh, deleted scenes that include optional commentary as well. But I want to touch on a couple things, Matt. So the thing, UHD release came out this week. And everything I've read is that it looks gorgeous and it's like sold out everywhere. Yeah, I pre-ordered it and I didn't get it. It's not coming until like the end of the month. Yeah, I didn't. I was just going to wait until it dropped down to like 15 bucks. I, I can hold off, even though it does have a digital copy, which is cool too. But supposedly it's the best it's ever looked. I looked at like screen captures and differences and it looks incredible. There are some audio issues. The bass uh-huh. supposedly is muted. And the theme, the score, which is one of the best things about that film, has been dropped down in the mix as well. So now I'm a little concerned. <laughs> so I don't know if they'll fix it at some point or if that's just the way this presentation is going to be. A lot of the st- comments I read on Blu-ray.com basically said that this is the version they're still going to stick with, with the UHD, because it just looks that good. But uh, there are some issues with the audio track. Well, I can't say, at least for you personally, Chris, you have five other versions of it to go back to to get what you need from the various pieces. True. And I have my whole home theater set up, too. So if you have like a 2.0 system or you're using your Mm. TV speakers, it may not be a big deal to you either way. And the other problem is we talked the other week, too, last actually just last week about the Star Trek 
4K set of the first four films. And I had told everybody to hold off on buying it because they were doing a 4K remaster of the motion picture director's cut, which is not available in that 4K set. I said, hold off. Well, Paramount Plus released yesterday, or maybe this morning, either way, that the director's cut 4K release of the motion picture is a Paramount Plus exclusive. Now, that's not going to be forever. There is no way Paramount's going to sit on that and not release it in some kind of physical you know, copy at some point. They may not release a digital copy like Warner Brothers did with uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, where you can only watch it or stream it, I should say, via HBO Max. But we're at least now a year away. Where I thought we may have six months, we're at least, a, I would say, at least a year away, if not longer, from getting a physical copy of the director's cut of Star Trek The Motion Picture. So I just want to give you a heads up. If you were vacillating back and forth on picking up that UK that UHD set, I wanted to give you all the information. Also coming out, Matt, this upcoming Tuesday on the 14th of September, Black Widow. That's it. That's Black Widow. Best Buy Steelbook. Are you going to buy Black Widow? I, I don't, I'm never going to watch it again. Uh, yeah, I probably will. I mean, maybe I, if I we think... do an MCU marathon in the future, like we've danced around it a few times yeah. this year of yeah. doing a rewatch. But I think here's the thing. I think your personal fatigue with it and your personal bias towards the distinguished competition, I think, has influenced um, it. And honestly, it's. I think it's going to be like a Captain Marvel where you didn't like it. And I would, didn't like Captain Marvel that much, but when I rewatched it, it's, it's not as bad as I remember it. Um, so I think, I think I probably would just because I have this idea in my brain that I kind of want to get all of them just as an, as a completionist kind of thing. So yeah, I probably will at some point. Unless they fix taskmaster somehow when I'm watching it for another time, I don't know. Maybe it could get better. And does have Maybe. Florence Pugh, so it does have the Pewstress going for it. Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like Pew. I like Pew. I liked uh, I liked uh, Harbor as well. He was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was fine. Not great, but it was fine. Uh, but I mean, I'm I'm the same person who probably, again, out of a completionist sake, will probably end up getting the Thor films just because I have to. So. Fair enough. <laughs> so it comes to the Dolby Atmos audio track. I don't see Dolby Vision. Which is weird. Blooper reel, nine deleted scenes, and some making of featurettes for that. Matt, a film that's getting a little bit of love online, though I think we were both thought it was okay, is Censor is getting a physical release from Vinegar Syndrome. This is the British horror film that focuses on a young woman who is one of the censors during the video nasties era in the UK and then starts to have things happen. I thought it was okay. But it's Yeah, I wanted it to be a lot better. I wanted it to be a lot better than it was, but unfortunately, no. Yeah, so there's deluxe and extra features packed, a UHD and Blu-ray coming from Vinegar Syndrome at some point this month. It's supposed to be this upcoming Tuesday. I haven't found any details online about what the special features are. Matt, I know you're a big fan of this franchise. Boss Baby, Family Business, includes an all-new original short, The Precious Templeton, A Ponytail, a gag reel, a deleted scene, uh, a roll call where they you know, have a discussion with the actors. Amy Sedaris is in Boss Baby Family Business. I'm a big fan of hers, featuring uh, an audio commentary as well with the director and producers. Wilgo USA is releasing Crazy Fist. A mixed martial arts champion is forced out of retirement for one last fight. Isn't that always the way? 
Shout is releasing Masquerade. A young girl struggles to survive after a group of home invaders break into her house to steal her family's priceless artwork. They're also releasing Hunters. Several years after a virus has ravaged the world, soldier John T. Wrecker, that's a good name, continues his task of protecting a group of refugees and the base to which he is assigned in spite of scarce supplies and an ever-dwindling discovery of survivors. I got to tell you, Matt, every time I read these things, I feel like, man, I cannot wait for The Last of Us show on HBO. (laughs) It's going to be ecstatic and you know what why the last man i think is it this week or next week it starts on hulu soon very soon yeah yeah i cannot wait to watch that one mayor of easttown which is an hbo miniseries that i watched that i rather enjoyed with kate winslet is getting a physical release eli ross history of horror season two catch the bullet featuring jay pickett gatlin griffith and mason mcnulty as well as peter fascinelli and tom scarrett a U.S. Marshal aided by an Indian scout and a bigoted town deputy ride into a hostile territory to rescue his kidnapped son from an outlaw gang led by a psychopathic killer. Howling Village from Epic Pictures. A young psychologist heads to an infamous haunted place named Howling Village. Well, of course. I mean, it's not like it's going to be uh, Mystic Seaport or something. In order to find out her family's dark history. The Human Factor. The epic behind-the-scenes stories of the U.S. 30-year effort to secure peace in the Middle East. Recounted from the unique perspective of the American mediators on the front lines. Oh, did we pull that off? Yeah, we did. Oh, all right. I wasn't aware. (laughs) Neil Jordan's Mona Lisa is being released from Criterion, a brand new 2K restoration of that one. George is a tough, yet also warm-hearted small-time mobster recently released from prison. He agrees to show for Simone a high-priced escort. She enlists him to search for her closest friend, another escort named Kathy. During their time together, George slowly falls in love with Simone. Audio commentary from 97 featuring Neil Jordan and actor Bob Hoskins. A new conversation with Jordan. Uh, some uh, archival interviews from 2015 and more. Scream Factory is releasing Alone in the Dark at a secluded mental institution. Dr. Bain, played by Donald Pleasance, maintains order while electricity fuels the asylum's high-tech security system that keeps the nearby neighborhood safe from menaces like Frank Hawks, played by Jack Palance, and Preacher, played by Martin Landau. Meanwhile, a new doctor, Dan Potter, who played by Dwight Schultz, it's like a murderous row of 80s people, arrives in town with his family, but the inmates don't take kindly to his presence. Brand new 2K restoration from the film's uh, original Interpositive. And then you have uh, a couple new interviews, a locations of, and a new audio commentary as well. Cold War Creatures, four films from Sam Katzman is being released. Matt, you get zombies, werewolves, atomic mutation, intergalactic avians, and more. And this quartet of classic terrors. The limited edition content uh, includes a fully illustrated 60-page book, an 80-page collector's art book, two double-sided posters, and reversible sleeves. It features Creature with the Atom Brain, the Werewolf, the Zombies of Moritau, and the Giant Claw. Arrow is releasing Death Screams, also known as House of Death. Locals are celebrating the last night of Carnival. Such I'm sorry, should I say Carnival? Such as newly in love couple Bob and Kathy, Coach Neil Marshall, waitresses Timid Blonde Lily and Comely, Nubile, Ramona, that sounds gross, their, bro- their boss Jackson, and learning difficulties, teenage peeping Tom Casey, whose dad Avery is in the town is the town sheriff. That's a lot of names to throw at me in one sentence. Several of them, several of them, shouldn't it be of them? Come on, Arrow, get your ass together. Several of them decide to spend the night down at the river in a van. No, where an unknown double homicide climaxed, I don't like that, there's some nights before. 
I'm just going to stop reading this. This is really uncomfortable. Brand new 2K restoration from the original 35 millimeter archival print. A brand new audio commentary, uh, making of featurettes, uh, and more. Warner Archive is releasing the Santa Fe Trail, featuring Livy de Havilland and Errol Flynn. Code Red is releasing the French Conspiracy, also known as The Assassination. Brand new 4K restoration of that one. Kino's also releasing Arabesque, featuring Gregory Peck and Sophia Loren with a new audio commentary. And then a bunch of French films, uh, Rafifi in Paris, also known as The Upper Hand, with a new commentary. Blue Panther, Blue Beard as well. Sony's releasing Walk on the Wild Side, featuring Jane Fonda, Lawrence Harvey, Barbara Stanwyck. And it's a basically a lurid drama, Matt, of love and lust set in New Orleans during the 30s. 4K releases, Matt, you're going to get Shawshank Redemption. I don't think I've owned this since DVD, so it would be a good thing to upgrade, but I'm 46. I don't know if I'm ever going to watch this again. I realized this the other day. I'll either watch like the same 10 movies or I watch something new. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, Shawshank, it's kind of fallen off a little bit, but it was available basically anytime on the weekend on like USA or TBS if you just turn it on. So you could watch it whenever you want. That's true. Uh, also getting a 4K release is Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. This is the uh, Rennie, Jeremy Renner, uh, Jim Arterton film. And then finally, your straight-to-DVD pick of the week. It's a new week, Matt, so it's a new Bruce Willis movie. Out of Death, Jamie King and Bruno, a woman hiking through a forest, witnesses four men committing a crime and attempts to escape, teaming up with a forest ranger along the way, who I'm assuming is Bruce Willis, barely sleepwalking through the thing, has one of my favorite and one of the most worthless taglines in the history of Hollywood from the producers of The Irishman and Lone Survivor. Let me tell you something, folks. At any point that says, from the producers of, pay it no credence whatsoever. It does not add any credibility to the proceedings at all. What should we be streaming this week, Matt? So back on streaming, available on Amazon Prime, just as we approach into spooky season, um, is a horror film that Chris and I both like. Um, and I, we think it's a little, doesn't get enough love. So I'm going to give it out a little bit of a shout out. Uh, Jennifer's Body is back uh, available on streaming, uh, starring Megan Fox, Amanda Seyfried, directed by Karen Kurosama. Uh, basically about a young woman in high school who becomes possessed by a demon and how that, uh, how that affects her day-to-day -day life and her friendships. And it's a good, funny little... Uh, horror comedy that's got some uh, decent little scares in it yeah jennifer's body is great moving on matt let's spend a few minutes and talk about thomas mccarthy's stillwater i've learned something new actually it's helped me a lot something called mectube the nurse told me about it it's about acceptance acceptance of what your fate Helping me to stop struggling so much. Stop questioning everything. You just embrace your fate and learn to live in peace with it. It's a Muslim idea. It's about letting go of all of that shame and guilt that pushes you down and keeps you down and makes you feel so powerless. And that's how I felt for a really long time. Powerless and forgotten. 
Matt Thomas McCarthy returns with the dramatization of the Amanda Knox story with Stillwater. He had previously done The Station Agent, which if you haven't seen, is a fantastic film featuring Peter Dinklage. He had a film that won an Academy Award for Best Picture with Spotlight. And then last time he did a Disney movie, which is an adaptation of a, a young, you know, just children's book series that premiered on Disney+. Plus. Well, he's returned now with Stillwater featuring Matt Damon and Abigail Breslin. Breslin plays a young woman who's been convicted and imprisoned for killing her roommate. And Damon plays her father, Bill who uh, goes from his home to uh, visit her on occasion. And then she gives him some information that maybe helped find the real killer. So he stays, meets a family along the way, perhaps falls in love, and things progress from there. Matt, Stillwater is an interesting picture. As I'm watching this thing, it reminds me of the heyday, which something I think we don't really see that much anymore, of the adult dramatic thriller which is something I really enjoyed. So what are your thoughts on Stillwater? Does that kind of fit in that mold? And were you able to get something out of this? Or is it a little long, perhaps? And does it suffer at all from, I think, potentially really focusing on Bill's character and not on Allison's character? Or I'm trying to figure out what to ask you with this. So basically... What do you think? Does it fit that adult kind of dramatic thriller mold of yesteryear? Where we used to kind of get a few of these films every year, like your presumed innocence, right? All these great kind of films. Well, what are your thoughts on Stillwater? Yeah, I guess it kind of goes back to that mold. I mean, the thing that it reminded me of most was, not that I know that much about it, but it seems like it has echoes of real life with the Amanda Knox case, um, where an American is imprisoned um, for a crime. Mm-hmm. She claims she doesn't commit, you know, in a foreign country. And... I honestly didn't have a ton of background on this. I mean, I had seen some of the previews. So I was expecting something a little more fast-paced, maybe. Maybe a little, not like not quite like Taken, but maybe Taken Light kind of thing, where there's a lot of investigating and a lot of yelling and things like that, uh, ticking clocks. But it's not really that. It kind of starts off that way a little bit, and then it suddenly just kind of slows down, and it becomes like about him finding himself he's estranged from his daughter his family life is in shambles his life in america is kind of in shambles so he just kind of resets and kind of starts kind of reliving his life in from in france um and it was interesting to kind of see where they go with that and then it kind of turns back into what you expect it to be so i don't know it seems like it has a bit of a like kind of a multiple personality here. Like it seems like it wants to be two things. And I kind of appreciated it a little bit more when it kind of did slow down and it just kind of showed what was going on. And then when it kind of became more rote, it kind of left me cold a little bit. But I, the one thing I can't say for sure though is definitely it's way too long. Like this movie is still going on. It's like, <laughs> it's like we're, we're still in this. One of the things I wonder about when I'm watching this, Matt, is was it the right decision to center the narrative on Damon? Would it have been a more interesting story if it was focused on Breslin? Because she's the one in prison. She's, you know, and then when, when the film kind of un- unrolls and everything is kind of revealed, I think it, it goes for this kind of gut punch moment that I'm not quite sure it, it lands. Yeah. Um, I think it's a very different film then because if it focuses right. on Breslin, then it's basically a woman in prison movie, right? And, you know, then I think to kind of get your driving action, to get your dr- dramatics, so you almost have to tell the events of that night in flashback. I don't even know if you really even need Damon's character, or at least you don't need somebody like Matt Damon to play that character. 
Um, mm-hmm. I think it's just a very, very different film, which You're is not right, right or wrong. But yeah, I'm just a different way to tell the story. I don't know. I was just wondering when I was watching it, it was that a story that I'd be more invested in or not. I wasn't sure. I will say that this is not quite, but almost a training day scenario for me. I think that this is a film that is kept afloat by a fantastic performance by Matt Damon. I think there are some truly touching moments in this thing. And clearly the mystery of what really happened is secondary to the family drama. Right, as you said, to Damon's growth as a character, as a man, as a father. It's much more concerned with telling that story as of Damon trying to make up for his past wrongs by supporting this new adopted family he has, right? And that's what we care more about is that family dynamic. Now, maybe not all of those things kind of play out as well as I'd like. I think other parts of it do. And when the film does take that turn, like it's almost remembering what the movie is about. Oh, by the way, we got to get back to this mystery thing. It's a bit jarring. I don't know if that was what McCarthy's intent was to kind of like kind of lull us into this mood and feeling of of this is Damon's story of growth, right? And then oh, but you know, and then just to kind of slap us in the side of the head and say, "No, there's a mystery. Don't forget that," right? And if that was his intent, I'd have to say it's really not that successful. But I think this is worth checking out just alone for Damon's performance. Like my note is come for the drama, stay for the Damon, I think is uh, really what the winning thing is in this film. In the end, Matt, I think it's a C plus movie elevated to a B minus because of Damon's performance. And that's what I ended up giving Stillwater was a B minus. Yeah, I think we're right on the money here. I I give Stillwater a B minus as well. I think, um, it's a little overlong. It's a little, um, you know, kind of uh, doesn't know what it wants to be at some points in it. Um, but I think overall, I think his performance is, and Julie Delphi's performance is pretty good as well. So, Camille Cotillon? Oh, Julie yeah. Delphi's Am I thinking better. of the, uh, the other French actress? The, the <laughs> one other one that we have? <laughs> Do you want to retake that or no? No, just leave it. Just leave my ignorance in place. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, then. I like your honesty. I would have rebooted that whole thing, but good for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good for you. All right, folks. If you've seen Stillwater, which is currently available in some theaters and available on demand right now as well, shoot us an email at feedback at com. Yeah, I don't feel... I feel like I just want more of these kind of adult thriller things. It was... Like you said, it was a little long. It's like two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah. Because he's trying to set the whole family growth thing up. And then it's just, I don't know. It's okay. All right, folks. Let's go ahead and move on then. Let's close up the show, Matt. Let's discuss who our five favorite MCU. Remember, MCU villains. Not just Marvel villains, but villains that have appeared in the MCU in some capacity. And, of course, I've made some rules and regulations for myself. This is why. The two of you, same person. I mean, it's it's a little unnatural, but wow, wow. He who remains. He who remains. She's still calling me that. Creepy, right? What? I like it. Come on, 
Come on, let's talk in my office. Not what you were expecting, hmm? You're just a man. Flesh and blood. Don't tell me I'm a disappointment. Of course, as Jonathan Majors, as He Who Remains, or eventually will be known as Kang the Conqueror, the uh, villain in the Loki series. Matt, clearly he's not on my list because I think it's too soon. I want to see what happens with Kang, but I wanted to make sure he got his, his props and his mentions. Uh, so that's why he is the intro clip. And then, of course, Thanos is not on my list because I think it's just too much of a layup. It was so many films building to him that I just, you know, I just didn't want to talk about him. I didn't. There's so much. It's 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 time to move on. So Thanos didn't make my list. So Matt, um, what we'll do? I'll. Who went last for? Who went first last time? Do you remember? Was it you, me? I I don't remember. I don't recall now. All right, I'll go first. You can go last. Get the ultimate number one because I'm a cool dude. My number five then is Trevor, the Mandarin from Iron Man Three. Um, I loved at the beginning of that film when he's introduced as a Mandarin. It's, I think it's a lot. It's great. It's very sinister. It's a lot of fun. And then when that turn hits, it is a blast. And seeing Ben Kingsley playing Trevor uh, in the in Iron Man Three as the Mandarin is one of my favorite villain performances in the MCU. Obviously, it's my number five. So uh, to see him pop up in Shang Chi um, was a lot of fun. Spoilers, I guess, but. He started to show up in the posters and stuff. I don't think it's really a secret anymore that uh, he's in it. So, yeah, he's my five. All right. So my number five is my one nod to the shows. It's uh, Agatha, the witch um, from WandaVision. Uh, she's played by Catherine Hahn, who I'm, I'm a big fan of Catherine Hahn. I like everything that she's pretty much in. Uh, but I do like the kind of um, kind of through line that she kind of is throughout all of the, the movies and – or I'm sorry, all the episodes and she – kind of brings out the fact that you're never quite sure what's going on where the reveal is is pretty strong. Yeah, no, she's great. She's an honorable mention for me. She's basically my number six. Mm -hmm. uh, could very well be my five, depending on the day. I mean, she is, she is now an Insta meme, right? She's a meme now, so good for her. My number four, then, is probably, probably the most righteous out of all the villains. That's Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger. And I still think that uh, he should come back and be the new Black Panther for like a little redemption arc. He survives his... Uh, his death, and um, just out of all the villains, he seems to me the most that you could say, you know, he's got a point. <laughs> so, uh, and then it's just a fun performance as well by Jordan in that film. And I was just a big fan. So, Killmonger's my four. So, my number four then is um, where they get a Hollywood heavyweight to kind of come in and, and steal the show. Um, that's uh, Adrian Toomes and Michael Keaton's The Vulture, whereas he's kind of got this understandable motivation where he's trying to just kind of make a living for his family and his, his company and his, the people that he, that rely upon him and stick it to people like Tony Stark and the government. But then he also has that kind of terrifying dad moment, which is really just taken to the, the talk taken to the absolute extreme where you're being threatened by a supervillain. Does she know? No, what? So she does it. Good. Close to the vest. I admire that. I've got a few secrets of my own. Of all the reasons I didn't want my daughter to date. Peter, nothing 
more important than family. You saved my daughter's life, and I could never forget something like that, so I'm going to give you one chance. Are you ready? You walk through those doors, you forget any of this happened, and don't you ever, ever interfere with my business again. Because if you do, I'll kill you and everybody you love. I'll kill you dead. That's what I'll do to protect my family, people. You understand? Hey. I just saved your life. Nobody say. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, you go on in there, you show my daughter a good time. Okay? Just not too good. Yeah, uh, Vulture didn't make mine. He's an honorable mention as well. I really thought of putting him on there, particularly too, like you said, that scene in the car when he looks in the mirror. Oh, that is probably one of the best scenes in the history of the MCU, I think. So that's a great pick. Then uh, my number three then is Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin is uh, from the Daredevil show. I love me some D'Onofrio and he, just the way he embodied Wilson Fisk as Kingpin is one of the, as one of the more intimidating uh, and charismatic villains. I think that the MCU has had just a lot of fun to watch on screen. The man has a presence that is unrivaled by most of the other villains in the MCU. So I had to give uh, Vince his props. He's my three. All right. So number three is Killmonger. Um, I think it's obviously the most, um, maybe tied up there with Win Wu, most understandable villain, um, where it's hard to necessarily say he's a villain, just that it's more villain in, in deeds than necessarily in philosophy. Yeah. So Win Wu's my two. Uh, Tony Long is uh, my number two favorite villain. Again, just to be able to capture that sense of loss, but still be as terrifying as well willing to do whatever it takes to do what he's planning on doing. <laughs> um, uh, and just, again, we talk about raw charisma. Uh, Leung's got it. So I had to make him my number two. Just a fun, endearing, sad, and scary performance all rolled up in the one uh, from Leung there in Shang-Chi. Yeah, it's my number two as well. Maybe that's recency bias. I don't know. We'll see where where it's it uh, ultimately ends up landing. But uh, yeah, Wen Wu is probably my, is my number two as well. There you go. So my number one, then, I'm not sure it's even fair to call him a villain anymore. And that is Loki. Thomas Hiddleston's Loki, who had to suffer through some really poor films in those first two Thor movies. And being one of the main bad guys, not the main guy in the first Avengers film, popping up throughout the series again. Always a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but he's had his redemption arc, and we'll see what happens next. But for the history through line... Hiddleston's Loki has probably been the most fun villain I've seen on the screen consistently. So I ended up making up my number one. Yeah, I didn't put him number one because he, I, I didn't even make my list because he doesn't feel like a villain anymore. Like he mm. feels like a, at most an anti-hero. That's at worst um, kind of thing. Uh, then um, maybe a bit of a stretch. I don't know, but I really like her. So my number one is Hela from uh, Thor Ragnarok. Um, I just like how... Kate Blanchett, who I really like, is uh, just chewing up the entire scenery while she's there. Just um, uh, fun. Just honestly, just an evil, evil villain, which is not what they, they don't really try and redeem her that much. They kind of, that's just the way she is. She's the goddess of death and that's what she is. So that's 
actually kind of uh, refreshing a little bit for the kind of uh, making all of these villains uh, more understandable. No, that is a great pick, too. Honorable mention for me. Other honorable mentions, like you said, Agatha Harkness, Catherine Hahn, Aldrich Killian from Iron Man 3, Ultron, Red Skull. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Vulture. And then for me, the one supervillain that actually won, the guy who beat everybody and has not been de- since defeated, and that's Baron Zemo. So uh, <laughs> he's an honorable mention for me as well. We'll have to see, too, if they end up doing some kind of Thunderbolts movie with him. Who knows? It could happen. Yeah, that would be cool. My um, honorable mentions, uh, Mysterio. Um, I mm. thought Jake Gyllenhaal was a lot of fun in that. And I, I don't know if he's really a big villain, but I think he, if I really thought about it, he might be one of my more favorite antagonists, would be Jeff Goldblum's The Grandmaster, um, who is hilarious. <laughs> that is a good one. Good times, folks. What about you? What are your five favorite MCU villains? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. I almost forgot it there. So no Thanos mm. for you either, huh? Yeah, I left him off. It felt like kind of a, a layup. Um, I mean, he kind of is whoever the big bad ends up being um, for this phase four, whether that's Kang or Fin Fang Foom or Galactus or whatever. Like it's that's what you're building up to. So it can't. It seems like it's the the ultimate of this this arc. So it's of course he's the top villain. If you just want to talk about uh, shit, he got done. Yeah, I'm curious to see what they do with the Celestials too and Eternals. Mm, yeah that'll be interesting. Gonna play. Mm-hmm. good times all right folks again feedback at the first next week it's going to be james wan returns to his roots with malignant horror film that'll be playing in theaters and streaming on hbo max we're also going to start our run of female named movies with mary elizabeth winstead in kate which will be streaming on amazon prime this is guess her john wick film so we'll be discussing that as well and more in the meantime check us out on facebook twitter instagram and youtube do a search for the first run scroll 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 eventually you will find us uh head on over to apple podcast and give us a review it help other people find the show and we will read that review on the air uh screen run season two is in planning first episode of season two will be recorded in about two weeks for a launch in i believe the first week of october and we haven't revealed exactly what the subject's going to be. We've been doing little teasers on the Screen Run Twitter account. I think I'll post one today, too. We're getting close to the reveal here. But uh, you can check that out. And then Matt will be a guest on our second episode. So uh, that will be fun, as well as we're hoping to be having guests throughout, except for episode one. So you can check that out at Screen Run Fun. No, Screen Run Dot Fun is what the name of the site is. So there you go. And of course, everywhere podcasts are. All right, kids. We're going to go ahead and uh, take an extended break. Please take care of yourselves. Get vaccinated. I love you. Take care. Omar. Hey, you. Yeah.